Welcome to the Disney View Podcast. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer. He's a one-time cast member, and he's been to Disney World literally hundreds of times. Listen in as he talks about one of his favorite things, the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, and occasionally beyond the Orlando theme park. And now, here's your host. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, about every seven episodes or so, I like to do a news segment. And unfortunately, the last news segment I had planned got preempted by the fact that I was in the Magic Kingdom and checking out Fantasyland. So rather than doing a news segment, I sort of did a live what's happening in the parks segment. But I'd like to uh, come back to doing news segments again. And here we are with a news segment for the early part of August 2012. I'm going to start off today by talking about Avatar Land. That's the James Cameron Avatar-related land that they had planned to put into the Animal Kingdom. There's still a lot of uh, skepticism about this and a lot of questions about what's happening. James Cameron, for his part, still is very excited about working with the Walt Disney Company and putting Avatar Land in, in the Animal Kingdom. But on the other side, the Walt Disney Company has not said a whole lot, released any details, or told us about any closures that might lead to us believing that Avatar Land is coming. On the other hand, Disney has put out some statements to the effect of, we're still in the planning stages, nothing is uh, decided yet, we don't know exactly when this is going to happen. Which kind of leads us to believe that maybe this is fading fast. Uh, This would be something you'd want to jump on when Avatar is still hot. If Avatar goes two, three years down the road, it may not be something Disney wants to come back to. Now, you never know. They have an agreement with them, but you never know where things are going to go. Nothing ever truly leaves Disney's table, but then on the other side, sometimes agreements just don't go anywhere. You may have uh, noticed that when I was talking about the Tower of Terror and the fact that Mel Brooks was engaged to develop this Hollywood thing, a comedy hotel, something along those lines, and it never actually came to fruition and Mel moved on to do other things. So it's entirely possible that Avatar Land will not happen. Now, for me personally, I think Avatar Land really doesn't have a place, especially at the Animal Kingdom, where it's a live-action sort of animal park. Uh, I don't think it really fits there, but we'll see where it goes and uh, what comes of it. Turning to Epcot, there's a rumor that one of my favorite attractions may be getting a makeover. Soren is rumored to be getting a new film called Soren Over the World. The concept would be they would take cameras and go over other attractions besides just California attractions. So you might go over, say, the Eiffel Tower or the Taj Mahal or some other notable city or something else that may be recognizable. There's no timetable set yet. This is still just a rumor, but I have a feeling that's going to come to pass because... Soarin' Over California is a little bit limited in its scope, and it, while it's great in Florida, it really doesn't fit in Florida. And they're thinking about adding additional Soarin' experiences to other parks, and it would be neat to be a little more global and uh, provide some other context rather than just California. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with that one. Now, we did hear back in May that Disney was going to change its FastPass rules. In the past, you could go in and use your FastPass any time after that starting hour. So you'd have the one-hour window, and it would give you a time to start and a time to end. And you could come back after that end time and still use your FastPass. So say your FastPass was from 11 to 12, you could come back at 1.30, 2 o'clock, or something like that, and still use your FastPass. It would still be honored. They tightened the rules up to basically say during that one-hour window, that's the only window you have available. So if you came back at 1 o'clock, they tell you, sorry, you'll have to get another FastPass or just stand in the standby line. Now, they did tweak it a little bit to allow for a little flexibility. If you're there 5 or 10 minutes after your time, they'll generally still let you in. 
but the objective is to kind of tighten the time frames. Now, the reason they're doing this, we believe, is because FastPass Plus is coming, or XPass, if you want to call it that. This is the new enhancement to the FastPass that would allow you to get a FastPass package before you come on vacation. So if you're staying in a Disney Resort hotel, you could select the, the attractions you want to go to and have a return time for specific rides that you could come back to. Now, they've been playtesting this for a little bit over the last couple of months, and uh, they were doing some things with uh, some guests who had uh, reservations over the next couple of months. They were sending out an email and asking them, hey, would you like to try out our FastPass Plus, select from these attractions and these dates, and then it would let you do it. What they were doing in the middle of May was they came back and they were talking to people who were getting off the Magical Express, and it was totally a random experience. They were just asking people if they'd like to participate in the survey. By participating in the survey, they would uh, ask you three to five minutes worth of questions about your experiences and the, and the Magical Express and so forth, but then they would ask you to select some FastPass attractions for a particular day. Now, there's no, there was no set lineup of the different uh, attractions that they would have. It was sort of a grouping of attractions, and they changed them and tweaked them a little bit every couple of days. But what they did do was they tried to separate out all the, the high e-ticket attractions, all the really big thrill rides, from the ones that are fairly easy to get into. Uh, so you could only pick so many from each grouping. And at the time they were testing it in May, it was only limited to Magic Kingdom attractions, and they could only try it for one day of their visit in the, into the parks. So what you would do is you would select certain uh, attractions and give an email address and be presented with a FastPass card asking you if you'd like to have some of these. So they were testing like Splash Mountain, Space Mountain, The Jungle Cruise, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, Peter Pan's Flight, Mickey's Filler Magic, Buzz Lightyear, Space Ranger Spin, and The Haunted Mansion. So you would select from those attractions the one you wanted to see, and they would give you a plastic card that had an RFID tag inside it. You would use that plastic card to walk up and scan at a little uh, podium they had set up. They, they put a post with a little scanner on it at each one of the FastPass returns. You would walk up and scan that, and then you would be allowed to go into the FastPass uh, line. And the cast member who was standing there taking the tickets from the other guests would then uh, verify that that was the right time, based on the fact that it either comes up as green or red, telling you it's the right time to come in. And then when you got to the actual attraction where you would normally hand in the paper-based FastPass tickets, there was a second one, and the cast member would verify it again on that end. So essentially it works the same, but it's using a much cooler technology. Now, personally, I think this is a really great idea. I had a, an interesting discussion with a friend of mine about the fact that we're still using paper-based tickets here in the 21st century. I mean, we're in 2012, and we've still got these paper-based things. It's, the whole media is paper-based. You, you get the media, and you go through the turnstile to come in the park. Then you put that media in a fast-pass machine and get back a paper-based ticket that then you hand to somebody. The whole thing seems like an antiquated piece of technology. While it's great and it uses some great logic and some wonderful pieces of uh, computer machinery behind the scenes, to the guest it seems very ancient in some ways. So it's kind of cool to see that they're moving the needle a little bit and moving it along to these plastic cards that then you can use to store your FastPass tickets. And of course the objective would be to add in more things like your Key to the World card, your room card, everything else, the ability to charge all on one piece of plastic. So then you could go and do everything on one piece of plastic that you're carrying around with you that has an RFID tag on it. Very, very cool. And we're going to have to do a whole podcast about next-gen technology because I think that there's some really interesting things that are coming. In any event, turning back to FastPass, uh, they went through this, uh, this process and were testing it out. Uh, and there's also a few kiosks around the park where you could put your RFID tag plastic ticket up against it, and it would tell you what FastPasses you have coming up. So that way you had some sense of what's, what's coming. 
it's really cool. And I think there's some tremendous value to this. Now, I heard from someone who was lucky enough to, uh, to test it out. And they thought it was really cool and easier to keep track of their fast passes rather than having multiple paper tickets they had to deal with. And also, it allows for the cast members to kind of be taken out of the picture a little bit. They don't have to be the bad guys in enforcing the rules. Hey, you're past your fast pass time. A little red X will tell you, hey, you're at the wrong time. Now, here's the, here's the rub to all of this. Clearly, there's an, a change being made to the FastPass system. So you tighten up the rules on the fast passes. You change these plastic cards that have RFID tags inside it. Where this potentially gets a little more interesting is the fact that there looks like they're going to change the system a lot. Uh, eventually, these FastPass machines will go away. And because they're leaning toward making it on these like Keys to the World cards and you selecting your FastPass times in advance, some insiders realize that that probably means that FastPass for a casual day guest, someone who goes in and is not staying on property, probably won't exist. So the level will be, rather than kind of differentiating it from a you know, value perspective or making somebody pay for the FastPass service, if you're staying on property, you get the advantage of the FastPass service. If you're staying off property, you can't take advantage of it. So you don't have that ability to use FastPass. And I've heard from one or two people who have some insights who say that is probably going to be true, that if you're staying off property, you won't have, be able to take advantage of it anymore, which is kind of a shame for those of us who don't often stay on property for value reasons. Uh, we'll lose out on the FastPass ability, so we'll have to find new ways to manage the park. Look, I've been going to the parks for you know, 40 years now. And I found ways to manage it back when we had the e-tickets. I found ways to manage it when we went to the day tickets. I found ways to manage it when I had kids. I found ways to manage it when we had fast pass. So I'll just have to find new ways to manage the parks and do things a little differently. And I think that's okay. It's interesting how the technology evolves. But I'm really curious to see where it all nets out and how this works and how it really works from the guest perspective if, if you have to plan all of your day in advance or whether you can actually do some of this stuff in real time while you're in the park. Now, a couple of uh, additional thoughts about all of this. First, about Magical Express. Magical Express saw a downturn in the number of guests who were taking the Magical Express. It was down by as much as 14% over last year at the same time. It increased a little bit as the summer approached, but it certainly was down a little bit. And Disney's a little concerned about that in a general sense. It's a much more effective way to get to the parks, and I think people enjoy it. But it seems like uh, with ridership down, they may have to tweak it a little bit to make it a little, a little more compelling in some way. The other thing is, relating back to the whole FastPass concept and, and planning your day a little differently, Disney is starting to pare back on the extra magic hours. In the mornings, it was always two hours when you had extra magic hours. Now, for those of you who don't know, extra magic hours are an additional couple of hours that you can spend in the parks if you are a resort guest. You can go into the parks before the general public does, anybody who's not a resort guest, and spend a couple of hours in whichever park that they have that particular day. Each day, it's a different park. There are also extra magic hours at the end of the day that they offer in some of the parks. And typically, the extra magic hours at the end of the day would be up to three hours of extra time, and sometimes a little bit more. Uh, what they're going to do is pair it back to always two hours. So even if it's the end of the day, and the, say the, the Magic Kingdom closed at 10 and they gave extra magic hours till midnight in the Magic Kingdom, what they want to do is kind of tighten it up a little bit. It would cut costs if you bring it down just a little bit uh, to two hours because you don't have to have the cast members on for that much longer. And what Disney discovered was that there weren't as many people taking advantage of that third hour, especially when it was in 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock a.m. Uh, and people were staying in the parks. So they're going to pair that back a little bit. That also lends itself to changes to the overall strategy of using the parks. If they're going to change the fast pass structure and cut the extra magic hours, then they need to provide value in a different way. So I think that I think there's some intriguing things that are happening that are all coming together, and I'll be curious to see how these all play out. 
Oh, and by the way, from the Extra Magic Hours, a spokesman for the Walt Disney Company said, we regularly evaluate and adjust our offerings based on a variety of factors. I think that kind of sums it all up to me. And then finally on this topic is this, uh, this desire to complete the One Billion Next Generation Experience Project. And like I said, that's a whole podcast unto itself. But realize that they're changing a lot of things about the parks, the way we enter them, the way we use them, the way we think about them to some degree. So hotel guests are going to see something different probably starting late this year into early next year. So as we look at that, uh, that's actually going to have some impact on this as well. So think about the amount of money that Disney is spending to evolve the, the technology based on the fact that we realize, hey, you have paper tickets, you have all these things, things need to change again. And that leads us around to the next topic. It looks like Disney recently had another increase in theme park prices, uh, park tickets, and uh, that was back in June as scheduled. It's been every June for the last several years. There's a rumor floating around that they may increase theme park tickets again at the end of this year or increase them by a little bit more than they might have in the past next June. So it's an interesting sort of twist here that things keep going up in price, so the expectation goes up accordingly. So kind of remember that. Now, Disney is also seeing that there was a drop-off in guest attendance at the parks, so they have to look at both sides of it and make sure that they're not pricing themselves out of the game. Now, they do provide the premier experience, so I don't see that there's a problem there, but they have to be aware of what the guest expects and be able to plan for that. Turning over to uh, Marvel Comics, Disney, of course, acquired Marvel Comics, and they're making a big splash with it. They've got a number of merchandise merchandise shops, different things that are out there. They've, they've already got one movie in the theaters. Well, I guess it's left the theaters now. That's the Avengers. And they had done a wrap on one of the monorails to promote it. Uh, they're expected to make another movie uh, in a few months here, and there's a number of different uh, things that you're going to start seeing pop up around the parks. So Disney is really trying to take advantage of that, much like they did with the Muppets when you saw an increased Muppet presence as soon as they purchased the Muppets. Now Marvel Comics is going to actually increase as well. Turning to Epcot, the Disney's Phineas and Ferb Agent P's World Showcase Adventure opened on schedule at about the end of June. Unfortunately, I missed it when I went to the parks back in uh, May by a couple of weeks, and they weren't playtesting it the couple of days I was there. So it's unfortunately I didn't get to see it. But I am looking forward to doing it in the near future. Hopefully I can make it again this year. If not, I'll try and make it up there early next year to be able to give you a report on it. Now, for those of you who are familiar with Phineas and Ferb, uh, they have a pet platypus who's actually a secret agent named Agent P, who takes on Dr. Doofenshmirtz, who's trying to take over the tri-state area. So what they've done is they've hidden Dr. Doofenshmirtz and some other characters in some of the country pavilions, and your job is to use a field operative notifications equipment, a phone, to go around and help defeat Dr. Doofenshmirtz. Now, it sounds really cool, and I, I think it's going to be really neat. I'm curious to see how the phone works, though. The phone is essentially the, the technology they use for the Kim Possible exhibit, and I think they just tweaked that. So I'm not sure how interactive or cool it is. Like, for example, when you look at the Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom, that's very cool, very clever technology. I'm I'm not sure if this uses something on the same order as far as the technology is concerned, but it certainly seems like it's going to be really neat, and it's probably kind of fun to look at and figure out. Um, and as I understand it, a lot of the Dr. Doofenshmirtz characters are three-dimensional characters that pop out of hidden spaces over in various pavilions in Epcot. So it should be really interesting to go around the uh, seven countries in the World Showcase on a mission to defeat Agent P's nemesis. Staying in Epcot for a minute, there are some changes coming to tra test track. General Motors is looking to highlight some more of their vehicles and not do so much of the GM experience, but 
to focus on some specific automobiles and talk about the uh, technology that goes into those automobiles. From what I understand, the uh, piece about going on test track and going outside and riding in the car will remain similar, but they're going to change some of the inside pieces to make it a little more effective. And you'll still be going through some sort of testing of the car, but it's going to be more specific to a specific car line. Over in the Hollywood studios, a new pirate-themed offering is coming. The Legend of Captain Jack Sparrow will open this fall at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Now, we don't have a lot of details around it, but the attraction will give guests a chance to become immersed in the world of the four Pirates of the Caribbean films, and an opening date will be announced sometime later this year. According to Jason Roberts, the show producer for Walt Disney Imagineering, quote, This is going to be an immersive experience. We'll really delve into the story of Captain Jack Sparrow and put our guests in the middle of it all and in new and exciting ways. Story is always the most important thing for us at Walt Disney Imagineering, but we're always looking at new ways to tell the story that our guests have never seen before. In this attraction, we'll let you walk in the footsteps of Jack Sparrow. It's not a making of, not a behind the scenes, it's really a first person experience. We worked with the archives as well as the filmmakers while they were shooting the last movie. And as a fan, I just love sitting through those films again and again, going through all the details and leveraging them for this new experience. It's really been a blast. Now, turning outside of the Walt Disney World Park and turning over to Disney's California Adventure, as everyone knows, Cars Land opened to much fanfare. It's supposed to look very much like the panorama that they show in the Cars films when you're in uh, Radiator Springs. And I'm going to have to do a podcast specifically about that, though I don't think I'm going to be able to make it out to Anaheim to be able to see it. I'm going to have to find a guest for a future podcast who can tell us all about it. Now, for those of you who were looking to take the characters in flight at Downtown Disney, or for those of you who might have noticed that it's not currently there... There was an accident with the characters in Flight Balloon at the Hong Kong Disneyland, and so they decided to take all the balloons offline until further notice. They're doing some testing and verification to make sure it continues to be safe for the guests. Now, there's no word about whether anyone was specifically injured or injured badly, but we, under- we did hear that there were some issues with the, uh, with the ride, and it may have bumped down hard when it was landing. So Disney is taking all the precautions, and the company that runs it, Aerofile, uh, decided that they needed to take it offline for a while until they figure out what to do next. Now, for their part, in Walt Disney World, Todd Jolly, who's the general manager of Characters in Flight, said after an incident at Ocean Park in Hong Kong, Aerofile decided to suspend operations of the balloons at Downtown Disney and Walt Disney World and Disneyland Paris so we can conduct inspections. There is no timetable for its return, so for the moment, you just won't see the balloon over at Downtown Disney. Turning over to Fantasyland... To the delight of fans, the beloved Dumbo, the flying elephant attraction, a second Dumbo has taken place alongside the Dumbo that opened in March. It's part of the multi-year large expansion to Fantasyland. Now, some interesting things about the Dumbo. The Dumbos are side-by-side, but they also run opposite each other. So while one is running clockwise, the other is running counterclockwise. So they kind of created a circus act there, so they're going in different directions. That's kind of cool. That's never been done before. Both of the Dumbos uh, sport shiny new red and gold colors inspired by the 50s and 60s era tin toys, beautiful newly created signature illustrations from Disney animators, and a new water feature circling the base of both attractions, a first for Dumbo. Now, as you've heard me say in the past, one of the issues I had with Dumbo was always the load times. It took a long time to load and unload the, the guests from the Dumbo cars because of the fact that it was only two people per car and the cars had to stop for so long and whatever. There were some... Uh, some things they could do differently. By putting a second Dumbo in, they've effectively eliminated that problem. Now, they've also done something else to take it to the next level. They've connected the two Dumbos via a big top area, allowing guests to immerse themselves in a circus lore in a series of fun and interactive experiences before their spin with their favorite circus elephant. What you do 
instead of standing in a queue, is get a circus ticket pager that virtually holds your place in line and notifies you when it's your turn to board either Dumbo. In the meantime, fun-filled games and experiences are yours to enjoy in air-conditioned comfort. So guests selecting the fast pass option bypass the tent en route to their flight with Dumbo. Now, already open over at uh, Fantasyland, of course, is the uh, Barnstorber Coaster, rethemed to the Great Goofini, the new Casey Jr. Splash and Soap Water Play Area, and the Fantasyland Train Station, a stop on the Walt Disney World Railroad. The Great Goofini is a circus stuntman who presents one of his most daring stunts, the Barnstormer, which features an amazing array of aerial acrobatics and a twisting, turning, family-style roller coaster flight high above the circus fun. The Fantasyland train station design pays homage to both the elegant train travel of America's past and Disney's history, complete with a Casey Jr.-inspired weather vane and Carrollwood Park sign with Fairweather Place, a nod to the Fairweather route, Walt Disney's tagline for the Carrollwood Pacific Railroad. That was the steam engine that ran through his backyard. Now, still coming to Fantasyland in the near future, we have Under the Sea, The Journey of the Little Mermaid, a major attraction during which guests will travel with Ariel and her friends through their exciting adventures above and below the waves, all against a musical backdrop of songs from the classic film. The new attraction combines the enduring appeal of the classic Disney dark ride with the wonderful technological advances to offer guests a personal journey into the scenes of the film. Adventurers will feel as if they're descending below the ocean's surface. Once under the sea, guests will find themselves immersed in the classic story of The Little Mermaid, sharing Ariel's adventure through the magical cast of characters and captivating musical score that will entice everyone to sing along. And that should be open by holidays of this year. And I just wanted to point out, because of where Ariel's is, it would actually be about the point where 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea would have gone under the water. So this immersing under the water, that's very clever because it kind of ties back and harkens back to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which is kind of a neat tie-in. And I wonder if they have any other uh, subtle hidden clues about the Nautilus having once been there. The Castle of the Beast also stands majestically upon a hill across from the Old Stone Bridge from Ariel's new home. The Be Our Guest restaurant will feature lavish new dining experiences in the elegant ballroom, gallery, and mysterious West Wing. This magnificent facility will offer great food fast service by day and full table service dining in the evening. Nearby in Bell's Village, guests will find the rousing Gaston's Tavern and Bonjour Village Gifts. Again, these are expected to open in holidays of this year. And one note, Gaston's Tavern, don't expect to find alcohol there because alcohol will not be served in the Magic Kingdom. And then just outside of the village of Belle's Castle, and Enchanted uh, will be the Enchanted Tales with Belle. Uh, the adventure will go through Maurice's workshop and a magical mirror, and uh, it will be a doorway to the captivating new kind of storytelling that guests will be transported to the Beast Library to meet Belle and Lumiere to hear the story of Beauty and the Beast. Again, the uh, plan is to open that in late 2012. In the castle courtyard in the center of Fantasyland, the Princess Fairy Tale Hall will be the new home for visiting royalty in the Magic Kingdom. The castle-like entrance will feature walls of stone and stained glass windows, opening up into a large gallery, an airy space with high ceilings where portraits of the Disney princesses adorn the walls. This is going to fall into the space where Snow White's Scary Adventure used to be and will, is expected to open in 2013. And then finally, the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train will take guests on a rollicking musical ride into the mine where a million diamonds shine. The coaster will feature a first-of-its-kind ride system with a train of ride vehicles that swing back and forth, responding to every twist and turn of the track. The journey will be accompanied by music from the classic Disney film and animated figures of Snow White and the Dwarfs, and is expected to open mid-2014. Back in the resort area... 
Lightning McQueen, Mater, Flo, and other characters from the popular Pixar film Cars race into Radiator Springs just in time for the summer vacation season at Disney's Art of Animation Resort. The Cars-themed area opened on June 18th, and less than a month before that was the first phase of family suites, was the Finding Nemo suites. In the new Cars wing, featuring 480 family suites, a freshly paved road leads guests to the greatest road trip ever, a cruise down memory lane to a small-town America, Radiator Springs. Parked at the entryway, the sheriff and the infamous Doc Hudson welcome folks to town along with other car faces parked along the road. There's a backdrop of Luigi's Casa de la Tires, Tomater's Towing, and the Wheelwell Motel, creating an authentic setting lifted from the supercharged adventure. All roads lead to the 60s Cozy Cone Motel, where distinctive orange cone-shaped cabanas invite guests to kick back and take a dip in the Cozy Cone Pool. Guests will feel as though they walked into a scene from the blockbuster film as as pull-out beds extend from the living room sofa, whimsically appearing as the backseat of an old hot rod. The tool chest is actually the dresser, and the bathroom design is inspired by a car wash. So, of course, you have in the family suites the Finding Nemo family suites, which are now open, the Cars family suites, which are now open. You'll have the Lion King family suites opening shortly after this podcast airs, and the Little Mermaid standard rooms opening in September of this year. Now, one other story for you. A few months ago, the Kilimanjaro Safaris attraction started to undergo some changes to give guests an additional opportunity to see more of their favorite animals, and in this case, specifically zebras. To do this, Walt Disney Imagineering made some creative changes to the last scene of the attraction by removing the audio animatronics Little Red Elephant and related set pieces. This area will then be reconstructed as a savanna space to feature a new watering hole for the live animals, so you'll see more zebras as you go out into the uh, safari. This enhancement is scheduled to be completed by fall, and uh, the attraction remains open as they make the changes to it. Now remember that the little red goes along with the poaching element of the story that's been gradually phased out of the attraction over the years. And the removal of little red had been speculated ever since the last story change in 2007, where they kind of toned it a lot down. You weren't hearing about the poachers so much, but there was little red. So look forward to seeing some changes to the Kilimanjaro safaris in the near future. Also in the resort area, Disney's Grand Floridian Resort is scheduled to carry out a number of refurbishments this year, which impact food, shopping, and the main pool. Just keep in mind that parts of the resort may be closed at various times, so you may want to keep up to date with DisneyWorld.com or check with your booking agent to make sure that anything you might want to use is available or if if you have to make other arrangements to maybe get a spa treatment or to eat at one of the uh, restaurants that might be closed. Now, we did hear recently that Starbucks is going to be coming to the Walt Disney World Resort. Now, this is an interesting thing for me. I stay off property a lot, and a lot of times what we like to do is stop at a Starbucks on our way into the park and just get a little breakfast, coffee, to kind of get started. And it's interesting because finding a Starbucks in the area around the Walt Disney World Resort was tricky. For for the longest time, it was really hard to find one. There was one at the outlet malls and one at a couple of other places, and you kind of had to go out of your way and take a circuitous route to get there a little bit. But now they're going to actually be coming into Walt Disney World and to Disneyland as well. So you're going to see them at Walt Disney World. In each of the theme parks, they'll have a location at Downtown Disney and a few other places around the parks. I think they'll be brewing Starbucks coffee probably at each of the hotels as well. So that's going to be a change that you can look forward to seeing. No word yet on whether they'll accept gift cards or whether you'll be able to earn or redeem points at any of these locations. It might be less like a standalone Starbucks and more like the Starbucks you see at, say, Target, where they're uh, run a little bit differently. But it is good to know that they'll be there and they'll be easier to find. 
Also, I read something interesting recently. Um, this was about a class action lawsuit between a, some visually impaired guests and Walt Disney Company. Essentially, at its heart, the visually impaired guests were saying that Disney didn't make enough accommodations to them to have a good experience at the parks. Disney uh, received the, uh, the class action notification and went ahead and set about settling with this group out of court. Now, the couple of things that we know is that Disney is going to be producing more of the Braille maps, uh, providing more interactive services for the, uh, the visually impaired guests to have a, a different experience, and going to be making some corrections to some of the attractions around. And it just goes to show you that Disney is always trying to act in the guest's best interest. It's unfortunate that it had to come to a class action lawsuit for them to do this, but on the bright side, at least Disney is working toward uh, making things more effective for everyone, so everyone has an opportunity to enjoy the parks. And that is my podcast for this week. I hope you enjoyed this news segment. And remember, you can contact me anytime at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Ask questions, uh, throw some news my way, anything you'd like to hear about on a future podcast. I'm always happy to hear ideas. And that's it for this week. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Thank you for taking a ride with us on the Dave's Disney View podcast. Show notes, more information about this podcast, and about other great podcasts on the web, can be found at DisneyPodcast.net. Also, you'll find some links to Dave's iPhone applications. See and share hidden Mickeys, or organize your pins when you go pin trading. Our thanks go to Craig, also known as Sound of Music. Craig produced the original music you hear in this podcast. You can find Craig's work at ReverbNation.com slash SoundA. Also, our thanks go to Doug at GeekAcres.net for his continued contributions to the show. Now, please gather your personal belongings and watch your head and step as you exit. Show number 105.